Brooklyn Supreme is the world's largest recorded horse. You can see a photo of Brooklyn Supreme, a red roan Belgian stallion. Born in 1928 in Minneapolis, Minnesota, this massive horse stood at six foot six inches. It weighed 1,500 kilograms and died on the right old age of 20 years in 1948. It's a massive, massive animal, isn't it? It's imposing, it's powerful, it's strong, it's, it's captivating, just the scale of it. And that interests us, doesn't it? We as human people are often interested to be the biggest of something, the best of something, the most powerful, the largest. We're going to see the Lord Jesus enter Jerusalem today in Matthew chapter 21. And we're going to see that Jesus does not choose a horse like Brooklyn Supreme to enter. He doesn't enter in the largest or most grand mode of entry. He enters on a donkey. And this is important, we're going to see today, because what we're seeing in this moment as Jesus enters Jerusalem is something is occurring in Jesus' life for the very first time. He's declaring, declaring himself to the world as the Messiah, as the King. And the way he does that is so interesting because Jesus in this passage in Matthew chapter 21 inverts the expectation of kingship. People are expecting a big king on a big horse like Brooklyn Supreme. But Jesus gives us and them the very opposite of what they expect. And in doing so, Jesus is going to teach us this morning something. It's not just a trick to catch people out. What Jesus is going to teach us about this morning as we see him entering Jerusalem is he's going to teach us the kind of king he is. He is the king who comes in humility and is going to call those who follow him to walk in humility as well. Well, if I was to say Paris, what would come to your mind? When I, when I say Paris, what, what do you think of in terms of that city? Eiffel Tower. Romance. Romance. Love. If, sorry, cheese. <laughs> if I was to say Canberra, what would come to mind? Roundabouts. Roundabouts. <laughs> what else? Parliament. Parliament House. Public servants. Politicians. You see, those places represent something, don't they? Paris, love, Canberra, bureaucracy. And a place often represents more than its geographical position. And that's certainly the case in the Old Testament. Places have meaning. Uh, for example, Egypt had an association in the Old Testament for Israel, and it wasn't a holiday like Christmas. No, Egypt was a destination that was the opposite. It was a place of slavery. 
A desert in the Old Testament is a place of danger, of preparation, of wandering. Canaan is a place of permanent blessing where the temple of God will be built. And so where things occur in the Bible is important. And the Old Testament really can be largely told by just where the people of God are geographically. And that's the case for Jesus. And in the Gospels, where Jesus is located geographically isn't just a coincidence. It's not just a coordinate on a GPS. It holds meaning. And there's no place that holds more meaning than the city of Jerusalem. And here now in Matthew chapter 21, if you want to open up there, we see Jesus entering this place of extraordinary significance. We see that he's coming to this city. He's coming to the city for the last week of his life here in chapter 21. And so there is a direct line in Jesus' life between where he is and what he's doing. He's coming to Jerusalem for a purpose. And Jesus' life is so bound up in his mission to save that he's a walking demonstration of that purpose. Because you see there in Matthew chapter 21, for the last two chapters in chapters 19 and 20, Jesus has been on his way to Jerusalem. It's taken two chapters to get there, and now he's really close. Have a look there in Matthew chapter 21, verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem, he's not quite there, but as he got close to Jerusalem, this is important enough. He comes to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. Jerusalem was this place of extraordinary significance. It was Significant in religious, spiritual terms. It was significant socially. It was significant politically. It was the epicentre of life for a Jewish person in the first century. And this movement that we see now as Jesus comes to Jerusalem frames the rest of the story of Jesus' life, indeed of the Gospel of Matthew. This is in fact, as Jesus comes to Jerusalem, this is the last stop. Jesus is hopping off the train. There's nowhere else he is going now as he comes to Jerusalem. He's entering the destination of his life's mission. This is why he came. We've celebrated over Christmas that he came. Now here in Matthew chapter 21, we see why he came. The pleas of the blind men in the previous chapter, in chapter 20, verses 29 and 34, which we saw two weeks ago, those pleas for mercy are now being heard as Jesus enters. So the place that Jesus is entering is massively important, but it's not just the place that's important here in chapter 21. The time is also important because it's just six days before the Passover. And the Passover was a very big deal in first century Israel. It was such a big deal that you'd start the celebrations more than a week beforehand, six days out. These guys are getting warmed up for the big party. 
The party, in fact, has already started. The celebrations have begun. Everyone is descending on Jerusalem for a week of annual celebration, the Passover, a feast, a party about liberation, freedom, rescue. The place, Jerusalem, the time, Passover. And for those that knew something of Jesus as he enters, I think the expectation would have been palpable. In the Passover, which they're remembering, Israel is rescued from slavery under a foreign king, Egypt, Pharaoh. But the people of God aren't under, they're not in Egypt anymore, but they are under the power of a foreign king, a foreign country, Rome, a new political and military superpower who holds the nation of Israel in economic slavery. Was this the moment that they've been waiting for? At last their dreams were going to come true. We've got the right place, Jerusalem. Huh. We've got the right time, Passover. People, place, what else do we need? Another P. Prophets, give me another P. Promise, Promise yeah. Person, right? <laughs> place, tick. Period. Tick. Person. A leader. A king who can rescue his people. This is charged, really. To us, it's just a familiar story of Jesus, you know, like we drive down to Canberra. Jesus on the outskirts. You know, that what's that big lake? That's on the, what, what, lake George? You know, Jesus at Lake George. He's about to get to the capital territory. No. This is loaded. The right place, the right time. Could this be the person for Israel? He's raised people from the dead and the word has spread. He's healed the sick and the blind and the news has spread. Now great crowds are coming, coming to see this. A king, one who would rescue them. And what kind of king do you need? to overturn perhaps the greatest military might the world has ever known. You need a king leading cavalry charge, big sword, big horse, big muscles. That's the kind of king you need. But have a look at Jesus' battle plan there in verse 2. Big horse, Big sword, what is it? He says, go to the village ahead of you and at once you'll find a donkey tied there with a colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This is Jesus' plan. A donkey. Jesus commands them to essentially purloin Prophetically, purloin this, uh, you know, take this donkey. And Matthew here is at pains for us to see that what, what is going on here in some of the detail there in verse 2 and 3, that this isn't an accident. That this donkey is there for a purpose. It's deliberate. 
It's intentional. It's intentional in Jesus' mind as he enters Jerusalem. It's not driving down to Canberra. He's entering Jerusalem for a purpose. Because Jesus wants to make clear that he is the Messiah for the first time in his life. Many times previously, we see that in Matthew's Gospel, indeed, all the Gospels, that Jesus retreats from any kind of public declaration. He heals a man and he tells him not to tell anyone. But now, for the first time, Jesus is going public, overtly. And so, for the first time in his ministry, he invites people's attention. And as he invites their attention, he's riding a donkey into Jerusalem. And there, in riding a donkey into Jerusalem, he's saying, I'm the one you've been waiting for. How is a donkey? How does a donkey say that? Well... The Old Testament has built into it the expectation of a king who will deliver God's people. And this expectation is based around a number of places in the Old Testament. We have one of those key prophecies read to us, Jim, in our first reading, read from Zechariah chapter 9. Chapter 9, verse 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you. Righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This quote from Zechariah, chapter 9, which is picked up in our passage, was recorded some 500 years odd before Jesus was born, when the people of God were under another foreign king. And now it's very clear in Jesus' mind as he enters Jerusalem and in Matthew's mind as he draws that quote from Zechariah chapter 9, he's saying there is a way. There's a way out for the people of God. There's a way out for God's people. Your king will come on a donkey. Later on in Zechariah chapter 9 verse 10, there's a contrast with the way in which the king will enter Jerusalem with what the people are expecting, even in the Old Testament. Verse 10 says in Zechariah chapter 9, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim, the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. You won't need what you think you'll need, Zechariah was saying. Your, your equivalent of tanks your chariots, your war horses, your machine guns, your bows. No, because this king who's coming on a donkey will bring peace, and not just peace to the nation of Israel. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 10, his rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Do you know how extraordinary that is? Jesus in fulfilling Zechariah chapter 9. As he enters Jerusalem on that donkey, he is saying he will rescue the very people who hold God's people captive. The nations will be rescued. Israel will be rescued. All will be rescued in this Messiah. Kings rode war horses. And that's been the case for thousands of years. It was only 
I mean, even uh, the Queen's still until recently rode on a horse. It's a, it's a royal, it's a royal animal, powerful, beautiful animal. And kings are often portrayed with their horses, like Alexander the Great entering. Uh, King George the Seventh, I think it is. The statues in the city is on a horse, but Jesus is not on a war horse. He's coming in slowly. He's not charging. He's coming in almost comically. You ever ridden a donkey? It's bumpy. It's slow. And in doing that, he's fulfilling Zechariah, but he's also in fulfilling Zechariah, showing the kind of king that he will be. He's announcing his person, but he's also announcing his position. And as Jesus enters Jerusalem, you can imagine the heavy mix of person, place and time. They're rolling out the red carpet. Here is Jesus on the donkey. Here is our king, verse 8. Have a look in verse 8. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him uh, and those that followed shouted, Hosanna! Branches are spread out. The royal, the uh, red carpet is put down. And this is the moment. The crowd is being whipped into a frenzy. They're shouting praises back and forth, or indeed quoting from Psalm 118 that I read at the start of our service. They're saying, Hosanna, which means save now, or please save. Please save who? Who are they directing it to? They're directing it to the king, the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. A direct quote from Psalm 118. Psalm 118 is a pilgrim psalm. It's a psalm that's sung to one another on the road to Jerusalem. And here they are with the expectation of victory, singing this psalm to one another. And here is Jesus on a donkey coming to these people in humility, in meekness, in perceived weakness, and in gentleness. And in doing so, Jesus is saying, I am this King. I am this Messiah. And he's coming not to assert power, but to give it up. This is a King who we are called to trust. This is a King who holds our lives in his hands. This is the king of humility. He enters Jerusalem in this way, but that is not the end of the story for Jesus' life. We're told at the very end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, that Jesus will come again, but he won't be riding a colt. He won't be riding a donkey. He will not be coming with gentleness. He'll be coming with judgment. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, it says, I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. Jesus enters Jerusalem in this moment such that we would see the ultimate king and come to him in the way that he comes to us in humility. Because one day Jesus will return, and he will return, not for mercy, but for judgment. 
And so we're faced with this question. Are we going to follow this king? And for those of us who are Christian people, we want to follow him. We want to follow him and the way that he lived in gentleness, meekness and humility. But often it feels like, I think, sometimes God has let us down. Do you ever feel a little disappointed? You know, you've got these expectations about how life should be, about how things should turn out. And often as I reflected upon this, I think it's because, at least in my mind, I'm after the big horse in life. The big, the most powerful, the best thing for me. But Jesus doesn't enter Jerusalem on a big horse. He doesn't come to us in that way. He comes to us in the donkey. And so we need to shift our expectations of what it is to live after this king. He's not a king that conforms to the world. The Jews look for signs, the Greeks look for wisdom, but we believe in Christ crucified. He doesn't meet our expectations, the expectations of our world. He comes in humility on a donkey, not on a war horse. And so for us as Christian people, we're asked to see our king. Indeed, that's what Zechariah imagines. There'll be a time for people like us where we'll look at this one entering Jerusalem knowing that he is to die for us. And what does Zechariah say to people like us? Daughters of the promise, daughters of Zion. He says to us, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey. See and that's a question for us today. Can, can we see the way Jesus comes? He comes not in power or pomp. He comes in humility. And those who would follow him, they too must come the same way that he does, in humility and in gentleness. See, if Jesus was have to enter on a big war horse, he would have entered to execute judgment, but he enters on a donkey to give mercy, mercy to people who have sinned like you and me. Because in his death there is a Passover. And this Passover lamb would give his life in humility. And in it we would see his majesty. In it we would see, in fact, Jesus' power in his humility. In it we would see Jesus' beauty as he rides slowly in on that donkey. Because as he rides in, he rides in for you and for me. These are words from a poet called Henry Miller. He says, ride on, ride on in majesty, in lowly pomp, ride on to die, O Christ, thy triumph now begin over captive death and conquered sin. Amen.